0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gautier. Please be seated. A blessed Christmas to all of you. The Gospel, this is a traditional Gospel of Christmas Day, which is the main service of Christmas. There are traditionally three separate Eucharists on Christmas. This is the main service, and we read John 1... Now this is a surprise to people often because they expect um, everyone thinks of Luke's gospel with the story of the birth of Jesus. We think of the mother and the baby in the stable. We think of angels in the heavens. We think of the shepherds coming and seeing the baby in the manger. Instead, we get the gospel of John. We have there's no mother, there's no baby, there are no choirs of angels, there are no shepherds. Uh, where'd everybody go? And, <laughs> There must be a reason why do we read, of all times, why do we read this passage on Christmas? Well, John, of the four Gospels, there are three that are very, very similar. We call them synoptic. That's just Greek for meaning seeing from the same perspective. That's syn is Greek for with. And you know, like we say optics, you know, synoptics. And it's like being in a stadium, and you have three guys on one side of the stadium, and you're seeing the same game, and somebody else on the other side. And you're seeing the same game, but you have a very different perspective on it. And John is always called in the church the theologian. See, John wrote the last Gospels. It's much later than the others. And he assumes that we know those three Gospels, so he's the one who tells us what it all means. He says, I know you know the story. I want to focus on what does it mean. So we choose John. What does it mean that Jesus was born in that manger? What did it mean with all those angels coming, the announcement, what does it mean? So John tells us the deeper story that 2,000-plus years ago, the Word became flesh. That is to say, the immortal Son of God who was born before all eternity, the second member of the Trinity, there's never been a time where He hasn't existed, eternally begotten of the Father, became a mortal human being, the actual son of a human being, Mary truly God and truly man. He didn't abandon his divinity. He didn't change from being God, but he assumed in fullness our humanity. So this is not just for a season either. Again, sometimes, I like to say this at Christmas, we get the impression that it was sort of like an internship. You know, that basically, you know, he did this intern, this human thing, but he got better and became God again. No, no, this is real, that he became a human being, truly God and truly man forever. That's why Paul celebrates. He says, we have a mediator with the Father. He says, the man, Jesus Christ. So he became truly God and truly man forever. That means there's a human being right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, you know, Jesus in glory. So Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet. That's the subject of our sermon today, where heaven and earth meet. And actually, it was foreshadowed by Jacob's dream. Remember Jacob, Uh, he he falls deeply asleep, and he has this image of of a, a ladder going all the way up to heaven, and angels coming up and down, and he wakes up and he says, how awesome is this place. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And what he does is very interesting. He pours out oil on the stone. Oil is what you anointed with, right? Christ is the anointed one. That's what it means. Messiah is Hebrew. the Messiah, the, the anointed one. So it's saying he has a foreshadowing of a time where the boundary between heaven and earth, you know, meet. You know, this is one of the symbols, symbolism of incense, if you're unaware of that, why we use incense. In the world, especially before airplanes and things, let alone space travel, we're aware of the fact that there's up here and there's down here, and we could never be there. But somehow, you know, our desire to connect those two is represented by incense, was like prayer. It could go where we couldn't go, right? It could come, go to places we could don't go. It could rise to places we couldn't rise. That ceases to be, once we have Christ, who truly really is the house of God, the temple of God, the living temple, heaven and earth meet. So why is this such a cause of hope and joy for us? Let me tell you a highly unusual Christmas story. I'm pretty confident you won't hear it anywhere else this, this uh, Christmas morning. It's the story of a German couple I'm particularly fond of, Victor and Eva Klemperer. And they were, they were Germans in the mid-20th century, and they lived in the, the, the lovely uh, town of Dresden. You know, was one of the, the one of the jewels of Europe before the Second World War. And Victor actually taught in the German equivalent of a junior college, okay? He taught uh, French literature in a junior college in Germany. And what's unique is on January 1st, 1933, he gets a New Year's present, which is very typical in Europe, a New Year's present. You know, often Christmas is what you get. You get candy in your shoes and things, and you get this present, you know, on, on New Year's. His New Year's present was a set of journals. Those were much more expensive in those times than they are now. He's very excited about them, so he decided to keep a daily record, which he did faithfully for the years that followed. And it's interesting, (coughs) very human. Um, We have, for example, he saves up to buy a car, and we learn about his learning to drive. Let me tell you here that anyone in Germany would be well advised to stay indoors when he's on the road. I mean, more than once, he just couldn't get staying on the road right, and he'd go into a ditch and things. But in any event, it's a charming story. He and his wife, they save up to, to buy a, build a little house, a right outside of right outside of uh, Dresden. So why is this story of special interest to us? Because Victor and his wife, Eva, are caught up in the Holocaust. They're caught up in the middle of everything. And so what we we actually walk through in his diary is, day by day, we see things change. First of all, as a teacher, students stop enrolling in his classes. It's probably not the smartest thing to do. So he starts losing students, and finally, there's no one left. No one will sign up for his classes. He loses his job, of course. They gradually begin to lose most of their friends. You know, it's not really well thought of, and people just stop coming by and visiting anymore. That car they'd saved so hard for, they they lose the car. They lose their house. They're relocated to to a slum. And there, they were subject to systematic theft, privation, brutality. People just break up, smash things, steal stuff. It was just the way of life for them. And finally, when you think things can't get worse, they receive orders for deportation. They receive orders to be transferred off to a camp. They're at the station on the evening of February thirteenth, 1945, waiting to be deported. And then something happens. That date is an important day in World War II because that date, February thirteenth, 3900 tons of incendiary bombs are dropped on Dresden. The city goes up in a firestorm. It was so great that chaos breaks out. The guards simply walked. No one knew what to do. The guards went to help out and they were just standing there at the station with all the other people being deported. What do we do? And after hours of no one coming back, they took off their yellow stars. And with tens of thousands of other refugees from the city, they simply walked away. And then finally, in a near miracle, months and months later, they come home and they find their little house is still standing. So it has a happy ending. So you say, well, I don't get why is this a Christmas story? Ava wasn't Jewish. Victor was, but not Ava. She could, that's why they survived so long. She was married and she would not divorce him. Immediately they said, no, you need to do this. This is a shame, all these kinds of things. You need to divorce her, everything will be fine. No, she would not leave her husband. And there were special privileges, you know, for people. They they weren't immediately deported. You know, they had special things. She would not leave him, no matter what happened. She could have saved herself at any moment, even at the end. They welcomed her to do it, you know, just just leave the guy and we can move on. No, she wouldn't do it. She insisted that Victor's fate would be hers, even if that meant being deported to a camp. So she made Victor's fate her own. He wasn't going to die alone, not without her. Well, imagine another version of the story, we get closer to what happens on Christmas. Imagine We know that Ava was a loyal wife. She loved her husband. But let's suppose they had not been married. Let's suppose she, in knowing all this was to happen, decided to marry him simply to save him, to go through all of that simply to save him. That would be the story of what happens in Christmas, where the eternal God takes on our humanity to die. That is the purpose of taking on our humanity. The immortal one becomes mortal, so he can share that with us. That's the story. So there's more to this, is what is the great hope? What happens when humanity is joined to divinity? We like to say the Council of Chalcedon said, truly God, truly man, distinct but inseparable. What does that mean? It's the story of why the resurrection is possible. What happens at the resurrection? Well, let me tell you an analogy. For years, I was an acolyte master. It means you took care of the, the altar servers. And one of the things we would have at the Easter Vigil is you had to light the fire to light the Easter candle. And you always had to do that outside. And what do you do on a windy day? It always seemed to be windy. Because you had, you'd have this big, like a barbecue, you know, with, with fire going in there. And one thing we all know, we've all worked with barbecues, right, what happens when there's a fire in a barbecue, if the wind comes, it makes the fire bigger, right? It actually comes, the flames get even bigger. But if you have a candle, what happens if you have a wind? <laughs> It blows it out. So in some sense, what happens with Christ is we have the flame of He's God. You know, He's life itself, the great I am. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He's life itself. That's the bonfire that can't go out. But as a human being, He's mortal. That's the candle. You know, the, 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 basically the wind of death puts it out. So what happens when a candle is next to the bonfire? Well, the the, the breeze can put it out, but if it's right next to the bonfire, the bonfire relights it. It can't stay unlit because the two are inseparable. And this is the story of Christ's resurrection. He can die. That candle can go out of His humanity. But because it cannot be separated from His divinity, the bonfire lights it forever, and it never goes out again. So why is that a great hope for us? We are invited as Christians. We are invited to join ourselves to Christ who's the one who combines divinity and humanity. That means that we have that living presence, which is that bonfire. We already have the reality of the resurrection within us. Look at what uh, Paul says about this. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. So sometimes we think, well, gee, it'd be nice if there was a resurrection. That would be a plus. But I'm not really counting on that. You know, how can I know? I, you know, I'm sort of hoping, but how do I know that? He's saying the Holy Spirit, the presence we feel, is the bonfire that gives us assurance when the candle goes out, it will not. We already have that. In our baptism, we've received that Holy Spirit. And Paul says, if you have that Holy Spirit, and we know we do, that is the Spirit that will raise you. You already have started the resurrection, all of us. That's the gift. We've been invited to share right now in that where divinity and humanity join, the place where heaven and earth meet. We've been invited into that place in Jesus. So at Christmas, we're called to remembrance. We remember the incarnation. But remembrance in the Bible is a very special word. We often talk about, we explain Holy Communion, the real presence. When it says in the Bible that God remembered, it's not like He forgets. He's God. So when it says God remembered Israel, it means God takes action. You know, something happens. You know, it's it's an active thing. It's not a reminiscence. It's something active. So when we remember the birth of Jesus, what does that mean? It's not nostalgia. It's we have a real and present invitation to renew the miracle of Christmas in our own lives because we're invited in Jesus Christ to come to that place in our own life where divinity meets humanity. There's a prayer you can't hear typically when the deacon is putting the water in the wine, and that prayer is, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we, may we share in the divinity of Christ who humbled Himself to share in our humanity. So that's what, that's the, that's what we're called to do. So, Uh, Let us pray this morning for the grace that just that as heaven and earth met at Bethlehem 2,000 plus years ago, heaven and earth will meet in each one of us this Christmas as we join our lives to the life of Jesus. Truly God and truly man. A blessed Christmas to all of you. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation.